Welcome to Dragon Talk. Bum, bum, bum! <laughs> I'm Greg Tito. I'm joined by Shelly Madzenoble. Hello. This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, and we are here uh, in October. And we're talking spooky things. We're talking spooky things. Uh, but not necessarily spooky things when we talk to Rhett Miller Definitely today not. Uh, for our interview he is a musician. Uh, he's in a band called The Old 97s. He's done lots of uh, solo work. He's right. written a, a book a about book. no more poems. Um, Very and awesome book. He's a Dungeons & Dragons player, and he plays and on And a podcaster. The, and a podcaster of his own right, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the Wheels Off podcast. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to a bunch of episodes of that. Creative people talking about uh, their process is kind of my jam. Yeah. I, I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And my God, he's, he's had some really... Good guests on he his really show. Has. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just listened to the uh, Leo Norbert Butts episode, which oh. is one of my favorite names of a person ever. For sure. Yeah, sounds like a D and D name. <laughs> it does, except for the, the the maybe a goblin name or something like that. Yeah, because N- a good NPC name. Uh, but we are getting ready for many new releases while we are playing through. Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Yay! It's out in stores. There's multiple uh, ways you can jump in, including uh, the dice set, which I think is really great. Wonderful. A lot of people dig it. Yep. There's demons, there's devils, there's lots of artwork that goes along with it. A map of Avernus, not to mention the dice themselves are pretty awesome. And right. You can roll them in a cool tray. So it's it's actually more than just dice. It's dice and miscellany yes. is the is the technical term. Right. Uh, and it's uh, it's been great. So pick that up if you can. Uh, the adventure itself, I, I haven't begun my sessions yet, but I've seen a lot of people on uh, Twitter and other places uh, gearing up and getting ready or having a few sessions in there. But you said you're going to play. Not, I'm going to play. Not be a dungeon master. Exactly. So I can't read too much ahead on the on the book. Do you know who your character is? I do. It is going to be a bard to start. Okay. Uh, playing in the seedier taverns within... Baldur's Gate, he's got a rock star kind of mentality. I'm, I'm modeling him after Robert Plant, early Robert Plant, early David Lee Roth, nice. David Bowie. Uh, he's got like a uh, um, star child type, type thing going on. Dual wands. So when he gets Whoa. into fights, he uses both of his wands. He also uses his wand as a microphone a la Bob Barker on Price is Right. Oh, like a long, skinny Like a long, skinny microphone. Host. Yeah, right, yes. exactly. But then he blasts that out and then casts color spray behind him for uh, visual effect only. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty... So do you think he's going to make it as a musician? No. No. No, but Does he... Does he know that? Well, maybe, maybe he could make it as a musician, but he's going to get caught up, obviously, in the adventure of what's what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I'm I, I'm I haven't really kind of decided on what the voice or how he's going to, to act, but I'm thinking a lot like... Um, uh, the character from Get Him to the Greek type oh. of, you know, like he's he's got like a Britishy type like thing. Like the Russell Brand. Yeah, like that Russell Brand character. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That is always. Oh, I can uh, totally picture this guy. Yeah. Right. It's the first time I've had a, a, a clear character thing from like visuals yeah. to posture. I haven't really worked on the voice or anything quite yet, but it's uh, it's gonna be fun. Does he have a name? Terran Zay. Oh. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. I can. Almost picture his album. Cover. I was thinking Van Halen, but like you know, using those type of sounds and yeah. moved them around. And I'm like, oh yeah, Taryn. I like it. Yeah, maybe Rhett can give you some tips. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. I should totally uh, yeah. uh, pick his brain about that. Yep. Yeah. What What would a rock star do in a D and D setting? 
He's going to eventually in Baldur's Gate. I feel like that informs a lot of your decision. It's like a seedy uh, underbelly kind of town. Is there any? You said like a seedier club in Mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate, (laughs) which meaning a a not. you they know, don't have nice, not high end. They don't have nice things. It's not on. The, it's not on the nobles. It's down in the, oh. the the area that is more rough and tumble. Oh, well, show! It sounds fun. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I even have the wands. Uh, you know, using ones that we bought for our kids when we went to a theme park. Oh, and I'm like, great! I've got two the, of them, and I've been practicing doing like, you know, yeah. like drumstick like a, a Fiona um, was very very clear in like which if we ever go there. Mm-hmm. Which wands we should get. Ooh, very important. She gave me a really detailed description. <laughs> nice. There are a lot of cool ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that she told me. Yeah. Which ones to stay away from, which ones to Which ones are the good in. ones. Yeah. yeah. You should bring, but didn't you say, she said, like, you need to bring your son. She did. She, she did. Yeah, so. Oh, you, you mean your friend, Quinn? Yeah. My son? <laughs> <laughs> you should really bring your son. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, but then we're also really getting ramped up for Eberron. Yes. Rising from the Last War is happening on November 19th. Same yep. day as what's going on with the... Rick and Morty. Well, Dungeons and Dragons oh. versus Rick and Morty Dun- yes. role-playing yes. game adventure. Yes. That's going to be super fun. Also on November little, 19th. A little something for everyone. A little. It's very two very different, yeah. distinct styles yep. of, uh, of D&D Got multiverse is happening yep. at once. Yep. Uh, so, you know, grab both of them Do it. if you want to. For your, you know, left brain and right brain, yeah. or uh, pick and choose and yeah. uh, jump into the other one later. It's gonna be fun. It is. Uh, Tyranny of Dragons is also coming out on October twenty second. Yes. That is a mashup of the. It's not really a mashup, but I'm just gonna go with it. It's a mashup of uh, two the two adventures. volumes that came out when uh, Dungeons and Dragons was first released, fifth edition. Yes, in twenty fourteen. Yes. Um, and it takes those two books, puts them together, spoons out some of the rough edges that were going on in those encounters. And there's a huge, I didn't realize how big the concept art gallery, never before seen concept art gallery I love for dragons. That they put that in there. Yeah. It's like more than 10 pages I want that worth of, uh, of artwork. I know, because the concept love art. seeing the concept it art. Comes, it brings to life how the writers were, were thinking about things yeah. in, a, in a way that you can't really do any other way. I, so. just, I love seeing it. Me too. Me too. So I'm glad that those of you will be able to pick that up in your local game store on October 22nd. And that cover. Ugh. By oh. Hydro 74. Oh Tiamat. Hubba it's hubba. It's just begging to be somebody's back tattoo. I want to give a hug to each one of those heads. <laughs> yeah, but you, be like, it would I be love unfair you. if you... I love you. I love you too. I love you. Like five hugs, just like, you know, random. And I think she would hug me back. I know she would. Yeah. Five heads, but only two loving arms. <laughs> right? That's. I mean, that's sad. Yeah. You know, she should have at least five arms. If I she's mean, got if five you heads. get like a, an itch or an earache or something, and you're like, I only got two hands. Like all your heads? Well, couldn't the other head scratch your... I mean, they'd have to like... I don't know. Well, didn't didn't um, Chris and Wes tell us that they all operate independently of uh, each other? Yeah, right? But they don't have different minds. They all have the same but mind. But if one has an itch, that doesn't, like the red head has an itch, doesn't mean that the blue head has one. Inquiring minds need to know Damn all it. about this. I feel like we need to interview them again. These I actually some... kind of feel like we do. I was not in my game that day. You were? I thought you were. I felt really bad. Oh. Like I, I almost, and I think Perkins was like, 
I don't know. Really, Shelly? Come on. I'm a very serious professional, and you're not giving it your all. That is not true. That is crazy. I will think that everybody who's listening to this right now will be like, Shelly, let's lift you up where you belong. It's just very distracting. On Tia Matt's wings. I will go on her wings. She wants you on her wings. I want to go. I want to go. <laughs> you, it shall be done. Take you me away, Tiamat. Our Tiamat servant forever and ever. Amen. I will. All right. If you're going to serve a dragon, that's the one. That, that's, I mean, you got five dragons for the price of one right there. Right? Yeah. Five bosses, though. Mm, not so much on that one. I don't know about the uh... <laughs> Well, you're just going to have to kill her then. Never. <gasps> really? Well, you and uh, uh, Joe Manganello are on her side. That's right. That's right. I knew there was something, some reason you two had something in common. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Finally, we found something. That and working out. And working out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we both really like Sofia Vergara. <laughs> I think she's awesome. Like, really? You like her that much? I don't much? like her like her. <laughs> I mean, I just think she's really talented and, and very cool. I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. See, you got lots of things in common. We do. Yeah. We have long Italian last names. True. It's both start with M. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. Theater. You both were in the theater in the Northeast, <laughs> the right? North, yeah. He was in, yep. you know, Pennsylvania. All right, it's oh, all coming together now. Tons. All right. I have a brother. He has a brother. Wait, are you two brother and sister? Oh, my God. Right, we are didn't you the same it. person? <laughs> are you a doppelganger of, this is crazy. of Arkin the Cruel who Maybe. appears in Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus? That's right. I know. Right. That's why I'm really excited to, to How meet. How crazy is that? I'm going to meet Tiamat. I'm going to be your best friend. And you're not. Taryn Zay is going to be like, sing with me. You're not going to. Tiamat. She's going to go. <laughs> and I'm just going to burning. Death. And I'm going to be on her back. Hi. <laughs> 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 I'm going to be operating her like a puppet and then going to Pelham's house. Dude, that's like four callbacks in one. I know. You're really that's good. crazy. <laughs> you were on top of your game. Oh, my God. That's so good. Well, um, I'm excited for all those things to come out and all the things that Shelly's working on and can't talk about as well. Not to mention what I'm working on, including Dice that is very awesome. What? what? I don't know. You guys are going to have to figure it out. Um, speaking of figuring things out, let's talk to uh, Mr. Chris Perkins about some lore that you should know. Okay. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and today I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Howdy. How's it going? Pretty good. This little segment is where we talk about a specific topic in D&D lore for you to enjoy and potentially use in your games, but mostly to enjoy. And today we are going to talk about something that is... uh, detailed in Eberron, Rising from the Last War, the book that's coming out November 19th of this year, Halflings and Their Dinosaurs. Yes, yes. Having worked on Eberron now for three editions, uh, this, this element has been true of all three, I yes. can say. And, uh, it was born out of the idea of trying to find a home for the halflings on the continent of Corvair that felt different from the other... Races. Right. And one of the ideas was to kind of play off of indigenous peoples and, uh, and, and first peoples and kind of portray them as creatures that live in harmony with their landscape and with the creatures around them and beasts 
we looked at varieties of beasts that could be tied to the halflings and we thought, well, we, we don't yet have a real role for dinosaurs in the setting. Is there a place for dinosaurs on Corvair? And if so, where would you find them and what would they be doing? And one of the thoughts was, halflings and dinosaurs sounds like two great tastes that go great together and we've never seen that before yeah. in Dungeons and Dragons. So can we do it? And then can we wrap a story around that for it to make sense? It feels like it has flavors of uh, the Dark Sun setting as yes, well as with, with Tomb of Annihilation or you know, that, uh, that idea of uh, the yeah. FR thing of Chult kind of wrapped in, in, into mm-hmm. one. Um, but then obviously yeah. got its own Eberron kind Correct. of stick to yes. it. And the dinosaurs we're talking about in this case are not huge T-Rex-style dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They're smaller, more um, rideable shall we say, yes. creatures. And in, in, in Eberron, the halflings of the Talenta Plains ride dinosaurs and ride them very, very well. And they've got close bonds with their dinosaurs, um, closer than just you know horse and rider. There's almost spiritual connection that's established between halflings and their dinosaur mounts. Oh, that's interesting. Were they, so you mentioned you know, uh, that these uh, peoples were in this area first before other... If not first, as long for for hundreds of years, long enough that people don't even know where halflings were before hmm. they landed in this this vast and it's a very large area, um, the Talenta Plains, and largely unsettled. Halflings of the Talenta Plains and their dinosaur mounts kind of roam freely. They don't have a lot of permanent settlements. Okay, the permanent settlements that are there are more to engage with outsiders places like Gatherhold, which is basically a glorified caravanserai where other nations come to trade with the halflings. Is that how you pronounce that? <laughs> Gatherhold? Yes. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> caravanserai. I've always heard that written and I've seen that written but never actually said oh, okay. it out loud before. Mm-hmm. One, of those, one of those words yeah, always yeah, happens. Yeah. Um, so the plain of Talenta, where is it on the, uh, the continent of Corvair? So it's on the eastern half of the continent, uh, south of the dwarven realms of the Maror holds, uh, it abuts a number of countries. <laughs> I said abuts, uh, <laughs> it, uh, including the goblinoid nation of Dargoon, the warlike elf nation of Valinar, uh, and the remnants of what used to be Siri, or what is now called the Mornland, which we've talked about previously. Right. It's a basically a land consumed by a cataclysm. Uh, so. They've got some pretty butch neighbors, um, but the halflings managed to hold their own with the aid of their velociraptor pets, uh, which have uh, alternate names in Eberron. You can call them uh, clawfoots. Some of them are called fastiths. They got different names for different species. And these, these dinosaurs, um, by the way, um, there's, they tend to be about medium size, so Big enough for a halfling to ride around on, but not big enough really for a human to enjoy the ride. Okay, so something that's you know six feet tall would not be able yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But dwarves, yes, and they can be they can be featherless or they can be feathered if you like. Um, we usually show them as featherless dinosaurs, but there's no reason why they couldn't be feathered. Now, did they were they were the dinosaurs? Um, native to the Talento Plain, and then the halflings found them, or did they? Bring they're them they're native to to Corvair. Okay. Um, They've been there longer than most of the peop- modern peoples on Corvair. It's just the halflings are the ones who have established a connection with them. And it's safe to say, and, and Keith Baker, the architect, the original architect of Eberron, has stated as much that 
Um, it's not just Talentoplanes dinosaurs that halflings can form a bond with. They can form a bond with dinosaurs from other places as well. And there are dinosaurs in other places like in the jungles of Kibara, which is a nation east of Talentoplanes over the mountains. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and how does this bond form? Like, what uh, is it? It's, divine in nature or magical? It, it's hmm, it's kind of vaguely described, but it, you don't have to be a magic user person to establish this bond. It is it is just a ritualistic matter, um, and the halflings get close to their beasts by creating these wooden masks that cover the lower parts of their faces that kind of have dinosaur like shapes to them, and they sort of just merge bond with the dinosaur the way you would bond with a pet. Okay, you know, and but there's, but there is a, a almost ritualistic spiritual connection that forms between the two of you, not to either of your detriments. Like if the dinosaur dies, you don't die, right? As a halfling, but you you do feel like you've lost something more than just a pet if your dinosaur dies because that spiritual bond gets severed. Does every halfling that comes of age have a dinosaur that they're bonded with? Not necessarily. No, no. So is, it, is it a special cast that does it? Uh, it it it's. Not so much a cast. It's just like, hey, if you if this is something you want to be, if you want to ride around on dinosaur, then you've got to go, you know, my son or my daughter, and go find yourself a dinosaur and do this, and I will help you do this. And with luck, we will find one that will like you, and you can take it home and show your friends. But there's no like membership of a no. There's no order. There's no order of dinosaur riders that prowls the Talenta Plains. Okay, yeah. um, but are they used as, as cavalry if they needed mm-hmm. to defend themselves? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's in the history of Corvair, the halfling, the dinosaur-riding halflings don't have a long list of conflicts to their names. Uh, the, the dinosaurs are fierce, but for the halflings, it's more they enjoy the bond and the mobility that the dinosaurs can provide them. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, they feel like they have to defend every inch of their borders um, from aggressors, because as I said, Talenta Plains is huge, and there aren't so many halflings there. It's a fair, it's a very sparsely populated area. There okay. aren't so many halflings there that they can reasonably know who's crossing through the domain at any given time. The other thing about the nature of Talenta halflings is um, something else. Keith once described them in a way that was interesting to me was they greet adversity the way um, a stream greets rough land. Hmm. They just find ways to wash around it. Interesting. You know? Um, That's kind of the halfling way out there. Don't engage if you can just figure out a way around things. And then having that kind of bond with a dinosaur that's very fast and And mobile mobile. is a big part of that. It's part of that kind of theme. Just go around. Exactly. So they've got close-knit families. uh, uh, Very tight. That's a halfling trait more than it is an Eberron halfling trait, if you know what I mean. Halflings just generally have these sort of very tight-knit communities, and that that element is certainly preserved. It's just if you think of them like American Indian tribes, they they sort of separate off into their areas, and they're very in-tuned to the land on which they inhabit and generally like to be left alone to their business. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then they would go to these larger settlements to, to meet between clans and... And, to, and to facilitate and trade between the other races mm-hmm. um, with whom the halflings don't have any natural animosity. Uh, they're not predisposed to hate anybody. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, what type of... Uh, is it only these velociraptors or, or their ilk that 
is the species that's there, or is is there Triceratops-looking dinosaurs? They don't. Uh, as far as I know, Talenta Plains does not have any big dinosaurs. If you really want to get into the weird, big, big lumbering beasts, you either have to go to Kabara or down to the continent of Zendrick, where all things weird reside. Got it. Um, so yeah, these are all fairly small, relatively small dinosaur critters. Do they impact any of the? Other stuff that we've talked about with Eberron, with the dragon shards and things like that, or the oh, prophecies. Um, if it, there is a there is a little bit of connection to that, insofar as two of the dragon marked houses, and we've talked about the dragon marked houses before, they're present on Corvair, mm-hmm. uh, and they kind of control or they monopolize certain parts of the economy. Well, there are two halfling clans mm. that are blessed with dragon marks, the um, Galanda. House Galanda, which is they sort of cornered the Corvarian market on hospitality. Oh. And House Jurasco, which has cornered the market on healing, um, both um, magical and non magical kind of healing. Okay. Uh, now, hospitality, going to House Galanda, uh, they maintain a, I don't want to call it a network but a franchise, <laughs> and a, like a series of franchises of these gold dragon inns scattered oh. all over Corvair in, in nations that have sort of inns and taverns. There aren't a- actually any of these in Talenta, really, but uh, the Galanda House has all these inns scattered about in cities and towns across Corvair. The gold dragon inn is considered to be a fine establishment, um, and if you enter one of these places, you can get all sorts of things from baths to equipment. They, they basically provide for all of their um, visitors' needs. And they began as a, uh, a clan of, of halflings and then settled the rest of the continent? Yeah, they realized that they could use the powers of their dragon mark, um, or the powers of the dragon mark lent themselves well to providing services of hospitality to mm. people. Uh, magical ways to uh, make people more comfortable or happy or to, um, uh, uh, to provide things uh, that are not readily accessible through fabricate spells and things like that. Do they serve that purpose within the Talento Plane as well? Uh, House Galanda is certainly within the Talento Plane, and you can probably find representatives of them at places like Gatherhold, the, where they meet with other races and provide for their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a gold but, dragon in there? Uh, I don't know if there's a gold dragon in and Gatherhold because it's such a loose structure, mm-hmm. but you can almost certainly find Galanda hospitality there. Uh, and you can find Galanda hospitality outside of gold dragon inns just in other places. Uh, a, a, um, a uh, what would you call it, an FRFest hall might be a Galanda-run place in Sharn. Oh, makes sense. For instance. Um, and because it's, because it's a t- uh, dealing with the hospitality of non-halflings as well as halflings, they have to scale up. Mm. Um, a halfling-only dwelling is very small. Um, but the House Galanda builds things so that humans and elves and dwarves and everybody can feel comfortable in them. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer for this, but uh, it comes to mind that the kind of clannish um, nomadic lifestyle of the Talenta halflings is not very capitalistic. Correct. But a dragon-marked house that is spread, spreading, you know, franchise of inns does feel very much motivated by money and, and, yes. and doing it. So yes. are they in conflict or is... 
No, I think it's two sides to a coin for the same reasons that halflings often gravitate towards roguery, uh, um, roguitude, rogueness. Um, <laughs> Let's go with roguery. I think roguery was, was good. <laughs> roguitude was a uh, yeah. close second. Uh, it's, it's sort of the, the dual nature of halflings that they can seem uh, very uh, innocent and harmless on, on the one hand, but are, can be um, merciless little thieves on the other. I see. Uh, some of them just sort of lend themselves toward the other side of the, the coin and, and entertain more dubious pursuits. So there's no way that the, uh, the halflings who still reside on the Tenalanta yeah. plane don't look down upon House Galanta or anything like that for what they're doing? Honestly, the halflings on the Tenalanta planes don't know much about what's going on anywhere. Oh. Uh, they're isolated for the most part. Okay, that makes uh, a lot more and, sense. And kind of out of touch. The, 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 those who have the dragon marks who sort of started to use the magic to their advantage are the ones who felt that would best be served outside mm. of the, the barren landscape with nobody around but tumbleweeds and dinosaurs. So to provide hospitality to a dinosaur. Yeah, I was just going to say, does the, do the, the, the dinosaur nature of this, uh, this bond, does that spread to the inns and things like that? You go can on? often see that the halflings in the inns might have dinosaur pets that, that run around. Okay. Um, so that part of it's not ignored. It's just, correct. Yeah. yeah. They've, just, they've got a gift of this dragon mark. They're just putting it to use, and they can't really use it in their homeland terribly well. So they've sort of gone abroad to, make sense. to do it. And earn a little coin on the side to keep, you know, stuff to pay for. They got overhead. Not something that the normal halflings of the Tolentz Plains have to worry about right. generally. Yeah, they're yeah. just looking for the next meal. Exactly. The House Jurasco, their gift uh, of Dragon Mark is the, the Dragon Mark of Healing, which is a very powerful thing to have, particularly in a society or a, a continent that has just come out of a very long, very brutal war. Right. And so House Jurasco healing um, facilities are all over the place. And Obviously, Jurasco had a huge effect on the war, offering their services, as dragon-marked houses do, to all sides of the conflict. Okay, so they, they provided their services no matter Correct. what side. Yes, they okay. were politically neutral, offering healing to any side who would, who would have it. Huh. And obviously taking in money from that, but that money, again, just going back into the maintenance of all of their hospitals and their hospices and the prosthetic limbs that they make for people and all that kind of stuff. Are the, those two houses, were they in conflict at all? Or are they no. just like we're both providing kind of similar source, resources? They're, yeah, I can see, you can see the overlap between hospitality and healing. There's a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, no conflict, really. They're sort of independent. And as far as I know, rarely do their interests contradict one another or oppose one another. Okay, that's good to know. And halflings in general generally do not fight internally much. Yeah, they're like, we got enough yeah. strife yeah. in the world. We're right. not going to a mild there. territorial dispute in the Talanta Plains might happen on occasion, but they usually the tribes are so far flung from each other, it rarely comes up. I don't think it's in halflings' nature, particularly if you're a very small person, to pick a fight <laughs> if you can avoid it. Right, that's yeah. the whole going in with the flow. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, so but I we mean, should, but we will talk about in another segment a a, a halfling family that has um, gotten itself into hot water and into a number of conflicts. Okay, and that would be the Boromar clan. Well, we will definitely do one on the Boromar clan. Yes, uh, perhaps coming yes. up very soon. Yes, uh, but uh, one one note uh, that I wanted to ask about, and I'm I think I already know the answer, but. Did the uh, halflings and their dinosaurs, were they involved in the last war at all? Uh, did they, were there units that were, you know, or, you know, did any of the conflicts get into the Talenta Plain at all? And, and what? The Talenta Plain would have been a 
a quote unquote um, uh, people uh, uh, like a, there could have been battlegrounds there essentially uh, brushes with Valinar or refugees moving you know across things like that because it is so big and it is close to so so many conflicts during the war and it is definitely possible that halflings could have been dragooned or drafted to fight alongside other forces in the war mm-hmm. because the halfling riders can be ferocious and terrifying on the battlefield. Yeah. Stature aside, when you're riding a six foot tall dinosaur and you've got a fearsome mask on your face, um, yeah, people will get out of your way. So yeah, they were, they would have been seen in the war. It would have been a rare treat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just imagining uh, a conflict between halflings and dinosaurs and war forged on the other mm-hmm. and, and yeah. the, the fantastic mm-hmm. melee that would ensue. Yes. Yes. Uh, interesting. Okay, so they didn't go on one particular side or anything like that, but they they would have been, been they would have been essentially sell swords in okay. that conflict because they had no political stake in you know who rules. They don't care, and no one was in none of the the the, the nations were invading Talenta to get resources or anything like that. Not in so. the sense, not in sort of a let's conquer the Talenta plains and enslave these peoples way. No. Mm. Uh, what about the relationship with the elves and the dwarves? What is that uh, like? Um. It would have been fair before before the kingdom of Galifar. It would have been practically non-existent. Um, Athlings probably weren't acknowledged at all as being of any concern. Oh, really? The elves would have been fairly new to the continent at that point, having in the process of migrating from Arenal and other places. The dwarves would have been deep under their mountains. Um, I couldn't think of anything more alien to a dwarf than a halfling on a on a velociraptor. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, you guys go ahead. I'm going to go dig underground. I don't underground. know what that is, but I want no part of that. <laughs> <laughs> you do you. <laughs> We're going to go get some iron. Yeah. Uh, so sense. so I, I, I think that um, their sort of eventual coming together, halflings would have um, embraced the dwarves and their earthy weirdness and the... What, I think the halflings would greatly mistrust the elves of Valinor. Um, I think there's enough indication there that Valinor elves, generally speaking, aren't to be trusted. Oh. Um, should and, we should do another and one so of those they, and on so them. They should be watched. And so I think the halflings watch them probably closest of all of their neighbors. Interesting. Because yeah. the Valinor elves are expansionistic and they're milita- militaristic. So they, they, they want what and the halflings got. Potentially. If they find anything, if they find anything of value in the Atlanta Plains, one day they might want to take it. Yeah, yeah interesting. Okay, cool. Good to know. Uh, anything else about uh, this bond? Or, or how, I mean, it seems like it would be really ideal for a player character to choose for a ranger, mm-hmm. uh, for example, or, yes. or a druid, yes. or something yes. like that. If you are in the, if you are in the, if you have a class that allows you to take a companion or a pet or something, certainly halflings, and dinosaurs go together like peanut butter and chocolate and Eberron. Delicious. Yeah, or apples and peanut butter if you prefer. What, um, what are some kind of ways you might use them as a dungeon master? Uh, as adversaries or... Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, you could imagine that uh, you could have a, a halfling warlord who feels there's some encroachment upon Talenta territory. Maybe they're trying to build a light... Maybe House Orion's trying to build a lightning rail across Talenta. Mm. And so they're making strikes against it to try to deter that activity. Uh, or you could do Stranger in a Strange Land by having a halfling delegation coming to a place like Sharn mm. and have these halflings and their dinosaurs completely out of their element and looking for help to navigate the city and its many perils. Um, there could be uh, good adventure possibilities with um, the... Uh, so 
before the modern races all settled in, um, there were old empires that occupied the land. And Salanta Plains, given its proximity to Dargoon and the mountains, there could be all sorts of ruins there that belonged to the Dakani oh. goblins. And the goblins might be trying to get to them, or the heroes might be trying to get to them, but they're on sacred ground to the halflings. And so you might have to negotiate with the halflings in order to get to where you need to go or to violate that ruin on that hillside that the halflings live near, mm. things like that. So there could be some fun, prickly negotiations. That is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And what's more, you know, I'm almost reminded of the, um, the scene in Lord of the Rings with the Riders of Rohan uh, yeah. uh, uh, all being mm-hmm. these expert yeah, writers, and, but imagine that as a halfling yes, cater on on, right. uh, uh, on dinosaurs. And actually, Riders of Rohan is not too far removed from kind of like the halfling, the Talenta halfling mindset. Interesting. In yeah. many ways, there are a lot of similarities between the two. So if you can imagine a story with the Riders of Rohan, it probably works very well for Talenta halflings. Yeah. Yeah. On dinosaurs. I like exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> All right. Don't get slashed by the clawfoots. No, don't. <laughs> and don't get hit by a halfling boomerang either. Wait, they have boomerangs? They do. Oh, we didn't mention that part. Yes, yeah. How, do, how are they magical or are they just no, like they're just normal boomerangs? Yeah. yeah, they're just mundane boomerangs. Yeah, we gave, <laughs> them, we gave them boomerangs. In fact, the halfling on the cover of Rising from the Last War has a boomerang. Oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, I, there's been a boomerang on, in my carport. Home, <laughs> just laying there. There's a boomerang in my carport. Sounds like a bad song. It does, doesn't it? And I keep being like, "Why is there a boomerang here?" I don't know. And I walk Guess past it. Didn't it. come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, someone threw it, and it's it's never going to come back. Yeah. Oh, and in case you're ever wondering, um, a lot of people do ask where Talenta halflings came from. They were just always there. Always there. Yes. Okay. I mean, I could tell a story about you know how. Halflings came to be because a quarterling and a quarterling got together. <laughs> <laughs> we covered that in our, in our troll sex. When we get to halfling sex, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we're going to go through all the races. Yeah. Um, one uh, final question, because you mentioned that they were always there. Uh, you know, did, do, do they have like a, a, a sense that they will always be there? Like, is there, is there like, a, like a permanence to their mindset? So, uh, so Talenta halflings, their, their legacy, their history is sort of passed down through oral tradition, so they have to rely on that. So it only goes as far back as they can basically recount. Okay. There's no scripture or scrolls or anything else to do that. So that's why their past is a little bit enigmatic. But part of it is by design. Um, Keith sort of baked in a mystery surrounding them. Where did they come from? Well, we're not quite sure. Could Eberron, the, the progenitor dragon who gave the world, just cause them to spread up out of the earth? Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, that's left all completely open. Could they be an offshoot of the gnomes of Zalargo? Eh, sure, why not? They're both short. Um, <laughs> uh, and they're both kind of similar in, in structure uh, with a few minor physical changes. Right. So there's all sorts of possibilities there. Interesting. And then do the dragon shards that fall from the firmament, Yes. are there many of them in the Talenta Plains? Doubtless, they are scattered around, particularly Sybaris dragon shards and Eberron dragon shards. I don't know of too many routes down to Kyber, the underworld, in mm-hmm. the Talenta Plains, but they could be there. All right. Yeah. yeah. That could be a good hook, too, as well. Like we're exactly. Expect- and you could imagine that um, the, the Talenta halflings might actually be collecting shards, not for any nefarious purposes, but because it's on their land and they just sort of show up or grow up out of anywhere yeah. and just keeping them for relatively benign reasons or maybe they've figured out a way to tap into its power and they're using the dragon shards to kind of spiritually connect with 
their ancestors or their dinosaurs or using them to help empower their dinosaurs or grant luck to their dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Uh, things like that. You, you, there's lots of room to play. Is there a spellcasting tradition uh, there? Are there a lot of wizards, a lot of sorcerers, that type of thing? Not generally, but you could... There's no reason why there couldn't be representatives of any major class or any kind of spellcaster in their midst, just like in any race. I was just imagining yeah. a, uh, a, a halfling wizard who's yeah. collecting these in this tower Absolutely. And, and yes, doing yes. all that. That would, that would be totally cool. Yeah. Totally all right. allowed. All right, that's it. I'm building a tower and I'm going to plane. Mm, I'll yeah. see you there. Okay. <laughs> uh, how how could people lasts. get in touch with you? Ask you more about uh, halflings and and how they're made. I am, <laughs> I am on the twitters at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much, and we'll be back with some more segments in the future. Wasn't that a really good? Uh, segment on everything that you needed to know about halflings and dinosaurs in Eberron. Didn't know that there were dinosaurs. There's dinosaurs. It's weird. Yeah. Not when I visited Eberron back in the day. You didn't have any dinosaurs? No. Really? Yeah. They they must have put them in just because of you. Probably. I I think Shelly likes dinosaurs, so let's put them in there. They're cool. They're cool. Cool. You're not as into, into the dinos? They're fine. Yeah. What's your favorite dinosaur? I would probably go with an oldie but a goodie, the Triceratops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got the three horns. Yeah. Just like, you know, I do when I throw my horns. That's right. That's why you like them. <laughs> you relate. I can relate to him. Buddy, you are rock and roll Who's dinosaur. The, is it the Brontosaurus that has a really long neck? Yeah. Or, he, the, or the Brachiosaurus. One, I think I always like the Brontosaurus because he's a vegetarian. Vegetarian. I get you. Yeah. I get you. That long neck, not great, though. Like a giraffe type thing? Like somebody could just, it's just begging to be bit. Some of those creatures were some of the largest land creatures ever imagined. Ever, ever imagined. Larger. Larger than a Tarrasque. It's crazy. Yeah. I've always pronounced Tarrasque that way, but I heard someone recently call it a Tarrasque. And I was like, I would like to ask you a question about that. I will ask you about the Tarascu? <laughs> <laughs> the Tarascu, like they, they, they pronounced the Q at the end as if instead of it being like a, just a mask, you know, Q-U-E as a, yeah. a K sound. What's your take on that? I always thought it was Tarasque. Me too. Yeah. But now, I don't know. On D&D Beyond, that's what it is too, I think. Tarasque. But we shall see. Tarasque. That's one of the things of Dungeons & Dragons terms is when you hear them out loud for the first time. You're like, oh, "Oh, is that how you do it? I just had it in my head completely differently. You just gloss right over them. Right. It's true. Yeah. Um, Something that we're not going to gloss over is... An interview? An interview with Mr. Rhett Miller. Should we we call him up? Yes, please. Let's get it going. We have Mr. Rhett Miller. Yay! (laughs) Woo-hoo! Yeah! We have a live studio audience. I don't know if... If you knew that. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much. How are you guys? We're good. Pretty good. Caffeinated up. I was debating whether or not I should have my fourth cup of coffee before we did this interview, and I just no decided debate. to stick with three. Really? <laughs> That's really? always a thing, right? I'm three hours ahead of you guys, so I've been done with coffee for a couple of hours, but I always hit that third or fourth one and go... I know if I drink this, it's going to mess me up for the rest of the day. Yeah. But then I do. Usually I but do. But it's so tempting, right? Because you need that yep. little burst of, of activity. Yes. Activity. Uh, do, you, do you do that when you're uh, playing music or songwriting? Do you feel like caffeine you know, is, a, is an integral part of 
your creative process? You know, it's funny. When, when I started writing songs, I dropped out of college, and then I would stay up late with my bandmate Murray, who's still in the old 97s with me. And um, at the time, I had a girlfriend whose family was from Africa, and she would get me this instant coffee called Afri Cafe. Mm. And we would stay up, and we would make this crazy, incredibly strong instant African coffee and eat like a sleeve of Kit Kat bars and write like six songs and maybe one of them would be good. It's a numbers game. <laughs> yeah. Was it like after the the buzz wore off, you would go back and look at those songs and be like, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always the next morning, right? You wake right. up and you li- you listen back to it and you say, like, what was I thinking? The cold light of day. <laughs> Never they, the same. They were all so upbeat and, you know, 300 <laughs> beats per minute. I wonder why. <laughs> Dude, you don't even know because it was a power pop band, so everything was da 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 da. It's like, oh my god, it's like vaudeville. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so when did you when did you start Old Ninety Sevens? When was when was that? Old Ninety Sevens was nineteen ninety three, so twenty six wow. years ago. Damn. Yeah, and um, before that, I had started uh, playing music when I was fifteen, or I started doing gigs when I was fifteen, and um, dropped out of college after one semester. Because Murray talked me into it. He's like, come on, man. You can't do music after you turn 30. So you got to get into it now. Oh, boy. Because he, here I am. I'll be 50 in 11 months. So, And Whoa. apparently it's I'm still allowed to do this, which well, is yeah, insane. As long as you get in before 30, you can do it forever. But. <laughs> I guess. We'll see. My dream has always been to switch over into like writing fiction, which I think you can do more as an old person. That's oh, my yeah. plan. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons or getting back into it, uh, as as I think you have, uh, it's a big part of that, right? It gets your creative juices flowing narratively. It's that is a giant part of it because I really devoted myself a, f- a few years ago to um, getting back into proper fiction writing because I'd been writing essays and little stuff here and there. Um, but I decided that I was finally going to tackle the role of dungeon master, mm. and so in high school and even before high school. Uh, when when it when D and D very first came out, Tomb of Horrors was my first module, and um, and that was wait, that was your I first. Was, I was in seventy nine, so wow. I nineteen seventy nine. I was a nine year old, and oh. um, and that was insane. We were just we didn't know what we were doing. We just made up some characters and just put them in there, and we thought it looked cool. And and then uh, I really was doing it a lot from like eighty five to eighty nine when I was in high school. And um, my friend John Greenman would Dungeon Master us and then Nick Lakett would. And John was way more fair. And Nick was just, Nick was a jerk. Like I had a character, <laughs> named, I had a character <laughs> named Brobdingnag who was a rogue who was really maxed out on all the detection stuff. So I would go in, every room would go into, I would, you know, I was searching for traps and searching for hidden doors and doing all the stuff. And apparently I was annoying and, I, and that I did that. And so he set up a room where there was a trap that as soon as I searched for it, um, a boulder came out and rolled over me and I was killed and Bropping Egg <gasps> was dead and oh, they did all sorts of unspeakable stuff to my body. He didn't want you to find <sighs> his traps. He was probably like, I put all this yeah. cool stuff in here and now this jerk's going to find them all. Not cool, exactly. man. That's How much has, has D&D shifted from that mentality to <laughs> where it is now where it's so much more about... Narrative and storytelling. I feel I would like never do that as a dungeon master because I'm like, oh, you want to reward people. You want people would to feel you, good. As a nine year old, though, 
Maybe <laughs> like if you worked I really hard on a dungeon and you hid. This is high school though, right? Oh, it's high I was school. seventeen. We were seventeen at that point. Yeah, he's just a jerk. Nick. <laughs> I was trying. Do to you know Nick out. now? Still, is he listening to this? Poor Nick. Oh yeah. In fact, we tried to get our. He lives in Dallas, like a bunch of my friends. Still, I'm in New York, and um, we tried to get uh, a group going the same old high school group. Oh wow. But we we were just using Skype. We didn't use any of the proper um you know online forums that would make it much easier and it was a disaster mainly because nick couldn't stop talking you know and it was a bunch of punchlines and jokes so now i think we may even do the thing where you hire a professional dungeon master and i don't have to do it and then we go in and have the same group from high school oh that'd be super fun that would be really cool i love that you guys are still in touch with each other yeah, and those are my still my closest friends from, you know, 30 years ago. Can Very we sweet. assume that is because you played D&D together? The it had bonds. a lot to do with it. I mean, other other kids were, I think, out making poor choices. And we were just making poor choices about where to search for traps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you were having Cheetos uh, or Doritos, but not uh, necessarily the other things. Oh, my God. You don't even know. Poor John Greenman. His parents would buy so much food and it would all be gone the next morning. <laughs> yeah. So were they were the parents all supportive of your little hobby? Uh, I guess. I mean, I don't know. You guys, I think, are much younger than me. But in the in the 80s, parents didn't care. Like they'd be like, OK, see you later. And then 15 hours later, they'd go, hey, I wonder what the kids are doing. So there wasn't the kind of oversight. Yeah. Like right now, I've got two teenage kids of my own. I know where they are at any given moment because <laughs> I, little dots move around on a map and I can call them. So back yeah. then, nobody cared. It they was, were yeah. just mad. It yeah, was like Stranger Things, food. right? I always yeah. love those jokes of the of the dad where they're like, where's the kids? And they're like, uh, I don't know. Weren't they at somebody's <laughs> the street, house? The streetlights aren't on yet. Yeah, so, so who cares? <laughs> they'll be back. Yeah. We knew the rules. It's true. I mean, uh, well, I appreciate those days. But so you asked about the storytelling aspect, which is what really got me finally into wanting to take on the role of being a dungeon master. And I'm not naturally um, suited to the role because I'm not good at remembering tables and charts. And although fifth edition makes everything so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been lucky in that my main group now here in New Paltz is comprised primarily of authors. It's, um, you know, people who write for a living. And so they're really good at storytelling and understanding that and role-playing. And one of them, Evan, uh, is a great uh, dungeon master in his own, but he's never gotten to be just a player. So he was super excited to let me be the dungeon master. And I, I, you know, I turn to him whenever I encounter something that it stumps me and which is a lot what you know one of the players in our group alex is sort of your classic rules lawyer and so he's constantly like going well i don't you know whatever I that's not how it alex. works right yeah. <laughs> so whenever that comes up i just turn to evan and say i don't know what do you think and so between the two of us we figure it out that's smart that's what i keep telling shelly who's been uh uh you know nervous to to go behind the dungeon master screen again too or she, and I'm like, like, you can do it. It doesn't I matter. Think ask, your, ask the other people around there. I would say, though, this is I, – I have set this in a world where there's no rules. Oh, so <laughs> nice. everything you think you know is wrong. Ooh. Can I do that? Sure. Okay. So it's in the mindscape like, of Shelley. If someone says that's not the rule, then I can be like, maybe in your D&D, but in this D&D. 
Right. But there is the default. Like when I was going to get into it, I listened to a ton of Chris Perkins interviews and then I listened to him as Dungeon Master. And and one of the things that I took away from it was that the bottom line is it's not that there are no rules, but the DM does get to make the rules. So if yeah. if, if Alex has a, an issue with the way I'm running a rooftop pursuit, I get to run the rooftop pursuit. It's I, you know, yes. it's Sorry. That was a very specific example. (laughs) I'm running water deep right now. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And there's some really great things about the campaign. But, man, there's been some tricky stuff. There is a little bit. And it does, yeah, especially those earlier chapters where you kind of have to uh, improvise what encounters are happening where and and how they're going to be adjudicated. Yeah. And when when we very first started, I ran, what's it called? Like the, the... the intro basic, the little thing where you go to a cave and there's a bunch of trolls and then you go on to the town with the night, you know, the starter set. Was it? The starter set. Yeah. So I, that was, that was my intro as a DM. I ran the starter set for my guys and, um, and it was so easy and nice and gentle and, you know, <laughs> you go room by room, you clear out the room and yeah, Waterdeep was um, a rude awakening as far as the, um, pressure on the dungeon master to really run the story, work the story, be able to work in like a very three-dimensional environment. And, and I've loved it. It's been great for me, but it, every time we're going to, we're going to have a session, I'm so nervous, like way more nervous than I am for a, a gig or a recording session. Wow, really? Well, I really, I really like these guys and I admire them all as, you know, as, um, storytellers. Not, storytellers and I don't want and also they've all for the most part played some D&D and I just don't want to let them down I don't want to look like Aww. a dummy See, I don't want to run up against Alex's rules that's guess why what, I'm though? scared to be a DM they're your friends it's gonna be great you'll be great I don't want to ruin I feel that's that pressure like I don't want to ruin it for them if I don't know what I'm doing then they're gonna have a bad time uh, I don't think that's well, true because they're with you it's a collaborative experience it it's it's on them as well to bring it to bring it, you know. Right. And, and actually, um, I, I'm I have no intention of of doing start if I'm ever going to do this DMing thing. It is not going to be with experienced people. I want to teach new people, yeah, and they good. don't know the rules. Well, if you're lucky, you will have what I don't have, which my kids are not at all willing. They're very <gasps> sportsy. Uh, I I know that if I could get them to just you know get past the idea of oh, I don't play d and I'm not a nerd I'm like <laughs> guess what nerds are cool now so yeah <laughs> wait so are you being it. judged by your by your kids that's oh, not they, sh- they shame, shame me all the time yeah <laughs> that's not okay it used to be the other way around right or at least yeah. for, for most uh, people listening to this it's probably like oh my mom doesn't understand me uh, and now it's the opposite <laughs> way my kids don't they understand don't get me it. <laughs> but they they have friends that are into it and uh and it's really sweet. I do think I don't know if it's um that the Zeitgeist is really coming back around to Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if it's the Stranger Things phenomenon. I don't know if it's that 5th edition is just so accessible. I really I mean you guys know better than I do. I think, I think it's D&D all, those. Is, all of those actually. Yeah. I mean it's just having such a moment and for good reason. I think 5th edition is brilliant and I think that the the campaigns that are coming out right now are so well done and so easy and is well done, you guys. Oh, well, well we will take we, that credit. Yeah, and pass it on to Chris Perkins. I like, was, yes, well done. I, I was going to say, period. We will take that credit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. But fine if you must pass it was It was all on. me and Shelley. Yes, we, we are the true brains behind 5th edition. <laughs> 
Not at all. But I think you're right. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that have combined to make it feel um, like it's having this moment right now. Part of it, a lot of the heavy lifting was also, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter kind of in the early 2000s that kind of set the stage for this type of storytelling and these tropes yeah. so that people could could lean on those. And those kids who are now, you know, 20, 30 years after that, well, no, but, you know, they're 20, 30 years old now who are like, oh, I want to be those those characters that I loved. Um, I think it also has to do, and maybe you can speak to this, um, you know, you mentioned how you're watching your kids and where they are on their phones and everybody's got these phones that they're concentrating on. I think there's something really pure about getting around in a table with people face-to-face and just improvising uh, and, and, and having that kind of uh, ritual be a big part of it right now because so many people are just looking at screens most of the day. One hundred percent. And in watching my kids, the way they use their screens, so much of it is kind of replacing what we always had before that, you know, and uh, and a lot of it's Twitch, like a lot of it is them watching their peers do something on a video game or something, you know, um, but when we sit down for a D&D session, and, and this is true also of the, of the campaign I run with my band when, when we're on longer tours on a tour bus, I'll run a campaign in the back lounge. And that's so much fun because it gives us something to talk about that isn't the dressing room, you know, wh- what the gig was like, who screwed up what song. And um, it's like a whole other world. And, and so for my home group and my band group, there will be hours where nobody looks at their phone. And it's such a... That's huge. Insane. I love it. Yeah. So, so this you, home... Oh, sorry, Tito. Well, I was going to go on the, the tour thing. I know. Because I kind of, we talked to uh, Chris Funk from the Decemberists, and he is a big, you know, D&D fan. And I was like, oh, did you ever, like, play with your band? And he's like, nah, I'm not really that into it. And so it's just really just me. Uh, and so he doesn't have anybody to play with on tour. But you got you were able to, uh, to kind of form the group around uh, the tour bus and things like that? My guitar player is a big gamer, and my drummer and our guitar tech, who also plays drums in Polyphonic Spree, they're ga- they're up for it. Like they'll try it. You know, they're usually the hardest ones to wrangle. Like it'll be, I, I will say, you know, guys, we said noon, we're going to meet in the back lounge at noon, and they'll be like, I don't know. But my guitar player is always up for it, and our nice. tour manager Nick is always up for it. And it's super fun. And I've been able to, there's a band called Turnpike Troubadours and they're like a kind of country band from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to get their guitar player and singer uh, to do when we were on tour together for a few weeks, I would do like, you know, like one-offs with them. And it was so much fun because these are guys that have grown up in rock and roll and country music and, you know, and honky tonks and to have them sit down and be willing to like, be in a magical environment where they're like meeting with a, a young dragon wormling, you know, whatever. They're like doing weird stuff and they were su- super into it. It was super fun. That was their first time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the Turnpike Troubadours guys, that was their first time. I'm a good friend of Chris Funk. He produced a record for me. Oh, and nice. we, we, bond, we bonded hardcore over our love of RPGs. And I think my present to him when we finished the record was a, a set of dice Aww. He's great. I would love to have his, him Dungeon Master a session that I got to play someday. He's fantastic. I have you had him on your podcast, Wheels Off? No, no, I haven't yet, but I will. I will. Good okay. stuff. So you're going to have to do like the Northwest tour. I'm so there on. in the the middle of January. I'll be in the Pacific Northwest in Portland and best, Seattle. So. Best time to be in the oh, Northwest sweet. is the middle of January. So, <laughs> so oh, how? Yeah, right. It is the best. It's yeah. so beautiful. Uh, how many of those uh, players, uh, musicians, 
did they choose bards as their class? Uh, weirdly, none. Wow. And I think that, that that's a big part of it, right? It's um, it's escapism. Like yeah. uh, the, we make livings being bards. Although uh, it, uh, I've got a bard in my group at home, and it is such a well-rounded character. Have you guys found that? Are a I lot do. of people gravitating Tito to bards now? Bards. I do love a bard. Uh, not, not even so much about the world well-roundedness, but even though that is a, a huge uh, asset to them, I just love the idea of them having this other job. Like having like, you you know, I mean, I guess you could say wizards and clerics and fighters, they have other jobs too, but like it's not really a, a, a part of their, you know, being, right? Like I love the idea of being a performer and then, oh, oh by the way, I go on adventures sometimes. Yeah. I love that. And my one guy in my my home group now in New Paltz, Evan, is uh, always going around with his bagpipe. And half the time he's trying to charm people with it. And the other half of the time he's torturing them with it. So it's... Uh, I feel like bagpipes can go either way. That's like... Oh, yeah. There's some dissonant, dissonant whis- whispers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love how all the spells are basically... Uh, what's my favorite one is the, uh, the rebuke. Or no, the one that's... Um, Oh, of a vicious mockery. Yeah. That's vicious my favorite uh, cantrip because it's just like, I'm going to insult you to death. And I'm, it works. It sometimes. Words hurt. Words hurt. They cut like <laughs> knives. They cut like knives. But no, I found that uh, my musician friends typically, if they've never played before, they want to be um, a tank. They want to be some big barbarian fighter or something. Um, but then the people that have played before understand the importance of a healer. Uh, and then the really hardcores, they'll they'll be my spell, you know, my sorcerers or warlocks or something weird. Yeah. But yeah, but musicians typically when they walk into it, they want to just kill, murder hobo kind of stuff. That makes sense. So how do you bring it up with them? Like when you got you want it, you know, like a new band on tour with you. How do you like? How do you broach the like? Hey, you want to come to the back lounge and play some D and D? And by the way, is the back lounge on your bus? Yeah. Okay. There's the front lounge, um, which has kind of got the kitchen in it. And then the back lounge, which typically on a rock and roll tour bus, like to tell your kids, don't go into the back lounge. Because (laughs) that's usually where bad things happen, you know? (laughs) Typically, that's what I was thinking. Yes. But in, but in our bus, it's always been, you know, we've where other bands will do things that are horrible and illegal. And, you know, we're just, we're usually playing Dungeons and Dragons (laughs) in the back lounge. I love that so much. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> There's champagne in the champagne lounge. But how do you introduce the whole idea of playing D&D to these new players? Well, especially if they're, if they're kind of younger, like the Turnpike guys are 15 years younger or so. You, you'll see, like, there'll be a guy that's into, he's got, carrying around a box of Magic the Gathering oh, cards, right? that's a tell. And so that, that's a short, you know, leap to D&D. Yeah. But, um, you know, you, you kind of feel people out. And we've never been ashamed to be nerds you know that's kind of a big part of who the old 97s are and and um so yeah we will we'll brag about the fact that we spent the whole day playing D in the back lounge and then later about an hour later one of the ba- the other band members they'll kind of sneak off and say hey do you think i could join in oh, <laughs> oh I love that. right so in the past it was like you think i can join into the horrible legal things that are happening but now they're like no no <laughs> i want to roll some dice and kill some monsters let's make it happen yeah i just like i'm still like kind of chuckling at when you said, you guys, I said 12 o'clock in the back lounge, and they're like literally like three feet away from you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, wake up, up. Wake up. It's time to get <laughs> some dragon slain. <laughs> I love it. Um, I have to 
not forget this because um, your book became very popular very quickly in our house. Um, Thanks. The, and my six-year-old Quinn wanted, I said, hey, we're going to talk to the author on our podcast this week. And he said, oh, okay, okay, can you tell him, Quinn says, this is a really good book. And <laughs> I really liked this book. It's really fun. And uh, other people should probably get this book. <laughs> So that is his official review of wow. the book. And because it's called No More Poems, it actually, we read it multiple times. We always read before bed, and I was getting him ready for bed, and I said, okay, I said, well, let's get ready for stories. I'm going to read, we can read No More Poems. And he goes, oh, but no, I like the poems. That's the book I, I want to read. So I, but that's I want the poem book. Like, no, that's the name of the poem book. The poem book is called No More Poems. He was very oh my confused. God, I, I love Quinn. Please tell Quinn that I think he's preternaturally intelligent, and I have big hopes for his future. Oh my gosh, I will tell him. He, can, he will listen to this podcast. That's he awesome. also loves the one my twin. The poem about the because he loves the line. He's dumb, which comes up a lot. And he was like. That's going to be my part. So, like, I would read everything and then point to him, and he'd be like, "He's dumb. He's dumb." Well, uh, so, a lot of so for the listeners would be like, "Oh, this does not sound like proper children's literature." Oh. <laughs> but, but, and and maybe it isn't. It depends on who you are and how much you can take a joke. But a lot of the poems in the book, I really uh, play with the idea of unreliable narrators. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, like, there's a girl who's got purple pox, and oh and yeah. Really, by the end of that poem, you're as a kid, you're going, "Huh, I wonder if she really has an illness or if she's faking it." Yes, you know. And so, in the in the case of the poem, my twin, the narrator is a twin, and he's talking about how dumb his brother is. And obviously, when when I go read this for kids, I'll have to say, like, I know that this is like a hurtful word, and it's a, like a lot of times if you say this word in your house, you're going to get in trouble. But it doesn't. It's not like he's telling necessarily the truth you have to like it says more about the narrator than it does about anybody else like the fact that he would use this word over and over again so and he's and he's talking about all of the when he's explaining why his twin is dumb he's actually explaining why he's super smart like yeah. he's saying like these really smart things like yeah. i know how to do math i know like adding and subtracting his math is dumb it's all like x's and y's and blah 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 like i mean i, I I did not say that nearly as well as you wrote it, but it's things like no, that. That was, that was perfect. That's so sweet. Oh, my God. I love it. We Thank love you. it. We're huge fans. That's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. No Thanks. more poems. No more poems. But, but please, more poems. We want more poems. And maybe some, some D&D-inspired poems. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, that's not a bad idea. Ooh. Yeah, so um, I was going to ask, do you, do you use uh, uh, your, your, your skills as a writer and a musician as your dungeon mastering or as you're playing? I don't I don't think so. It's so funny. I really feel like it's such a different thing. Like like you're trying to keep a lot of stuff straight, right? There's the story that I know, which is everything that's happening that they don't know yet. And I I feel like I I feel like there's just a lot going on um in terms of maybe storytelling. Like I love the the sound of words, you know, and so as I'm going, I try and make it Oh, there's there's a writer that I've been really into lately that you guys might be familiar with named Joe Abercrombie. Oh, okay, yeah. 
the, the first law trilogy and um, he just had a new book come out that I just finished yesterday. Mm. But I feel like every time I'm in the middle of reading one of his books, as I'm doing the narration of, um, of a, of a dungeon mas- a dungeon mastering session, like I'm, I really ch- am channeling him. So it's more that it's that kind of feeling like I, I want them to feel like they're really in the world of, you know, of water deep or whatever, and not, just like they're sitting in a backyard in New Paltz and there's some teenager in the next room who's like on on the computer and making fun of us on the phone, FaceTiming with their friends or whatever. Is, <laughs> your, spe- so, your, your examples are always so specific. Right. I feel like they're they're from your know. memory. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But I just, you know, so that really, that really becomes a language thing. Like I want to, I want them, like, I don't want to overuse the same word over and over again. Like if, if they're having a fight, I don't want it to be, you know, you plunge your rapier into his shoulder, a drip of blood. You know, I don't want the, the the verbs need to get switched up. The, you know, where the rapier goes, it's not always the freaking shoulder. Now we're going to cut off the bottom part of his right leg, whatever. Yeah. You, you, you see where I'm going? Like, yeah, I, I do. Want the, I want the language to evoke the the feeling of what's happening. But I think there, and, and you know, I just want to kind of explore this idea because I think there is a lot of like improvisational muscle memory um, and I don't know how, how uh, when you guys are performing, if you do uh, a lot of improv uh, on stage. Um, but, you know, that idea of, of needing to come up with a new word to, to explain something that, you know, could be just wrote, okay, you're doing 12 damage. It gets boring when you say that over and over again. So you have to almost uh, use that improvisational muscle to come up with something that is fresh and new even to you as you're saying it. And I wonder if there's any kind of transfer to how you do that when you're doing a guitar solo or, or if you're, you know, using the crowd to, to, to feed what's, what's happening on stage and if you feel like, oh, this feels similar to that or, or, or if it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. When you write a song, you know, there's a narrator in the song. There's a, a voice. So you have to kind of climb into the person. And and it's the mm. same thing when I'm doing an NPC. You know, um, there was um, there's a, a woman that is running their tavern for them who is, um, you know, and that's always a tricky thing. Like now I'm a woman and now we're having a conversation and I'm her. And, um, you know, that well, you know, there's a world of NPCs and I kind of have to be all of them. And it's the same thing as when I'm, the narrator in in my song, uh, uh, Jesus Loves You, all right? He's a guy in a bar. I, I see him as kind of this blue-collar guy. He's hitting on a woman. She is in love with Jesus, and he's trying to get her to go home with him. You know, and so it's this thing, like, he's really running down, like, the, the Christian faith, which I would never do that. I've got a lot of family members who are, you know, pretty strong Christians. At the same time, this guy is, like, making a lot of pretty valid points. But so... When I sing that song, it's not me. I would get in a lot of trouble with my sister-in-law, for example. Mm-hmm. But I do get to be that guy. So it's the same thing as when I'm being Lady Castellanter or whatever. You know, I'm I'm trying to climb into the the voice of this person. And I guess I've had a lot of experience doing it, even though in my songs, that person is usually some version of me one degree removed. But that's probably how I wind up doing a lot of these NPCs as well. Yeah, I think those are the strongest performances out there. Ones that you're like, all right, I can I can understand. Uh, Lorelai is the name of the person who's running the bar for my characters in in Dragon Heist. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that she's she's basically how I would be if I was a a, a surly halfling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Oh, oh, I pulled this out. I wanted to show you guys the Stone of Galore. Oh, you oh, made wow. your own. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, so my my players get to hold on to it because right now they've got it. 
Oh, that's great. That's cool. I think props are are very cool to have in, fact, in D&D. I know it's a, the tactile. In fact, my yeah. bard ha, my bard has it and he's attuned to it oh. problematically. Uh, that's oh. that's super interesting. We I mean uh you know, next time you come to the office I can show you I have the prop that we made for uh the stream of many eyes of the Stone of Galore on my desk. Yes. Uh, with nice. the three eyes carved to look like eyes and, and uh, uh, folks, you know, uh, our, our graphic designer, Emmy Tanji, every time she's leaving for the day, she touches one of the eyes. I have to. Every time I go to your desk, I always like find myself <laughs> stroking the eyes. It's so creepy. You can't help it. Uh, but I love that tactile nature and you're like, oh yeah, this is it. This is the, uh, the evil loaf of bread that's going to <laughs> be the center of this adventure. Although I gotta say, I've never gotten into miniatures and maps, and mm. um, and I've seen campaigns where that's done so well. It's just it's not my forte, and also I kind of like things being entirely verbal. Like I feel like if I put down a grid on a table, then it just kind of becomes like a board game. But I really want this to be like more completely, you know, idea driven and verbal and and just in the ether and in our brains and interpersonal rather than a three-dimensional or a two-dimensional thing. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think there can be a lot of value in having it be a shared imagination, you know, and that's part of the fun for me is, is having us all think about it at the same time. But where I have used miniatures to good effect is when you just get bogged down in the same questions of like, am I 15 feet away or, oh, or are yeah. you 20 feet away and I'm 15 feet away? And then all of a sudden you're like, well, let's just have it on a map so that we can... Yeah. Get rid of all that talk. Do and dungeon masters really know if they're not using miniatures? Do they really know the answer to that? Because I feel like I'm one of those players that's constantly like, well, "How far away am I? Can I yeah. hit it with this?" And they're just like, "Yeah, you can." Do they? <laughs> do they? As dungeon masters, do you guys really know? Are no, you keeping track of where everybody is? Or are you just like, oh, I don't. Fine. I yeah, mean, I will. In range. I'll set it up to start and be like, "Okay, you're the you know you're 100 feet away when you discover each other, right?" Yeah. And then I'll use it after that. Okay, so you ran 60 feet closer on your turn, so now you're 40 feet away. Like I'll yeah. just kind of hand yeah, wave it that, that way. Seems like but a lot of things to keep track of. Yeah, everybody's moving <laughs> around everywhere. But that's why yeah, somebody asked. That's why you ask so many questions all the time. Where am I? Where? What's happening? Is he near me? <laughs> Which one's dead? Which one but it's a, it's a finite number of things. But you also, you're, I feel like uh, for me as a dungeon master, I'm supporting my, my players. Like I want them to do well. I want them to have fun. I've had moments where we were on the, brinks, uh, on the brink of a total party kill a few times. And that was a bad feeling. Like not just are we yeah. going to have to roll up new characters and start all over again. But I just, I think that 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 would be a bummer for them. They would all go home that night and be like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. So what did they save themselves or did you kind of help? No, they did. They did save themselves. I don't think, I don't think I would have completely intervened. Um, But, you know, there were, I think there's been times when it could have gone either way. And I'd say, "Um, I'm going to let you do that because I think it's realistic in this, in our world. But I don't think I ever would have just said, oh, he misses, you know. Yeah. Right. I think right. that, completely fudge it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I look down at a, a, a crit roll and I just say, oh, it was a, you know, he missed. I don't think I would do that because it would be pretty exciting. Like, I'll never forget when Brobdingnag got rolled over by a boulder and I was 18 years old. That was 30 years ago, you guys. Yeah. And I'm still mad at Nick for that. I'm mad at Nick, too, about that. I'm mad at whoever named Brobdingnag. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was the most DD like name ever. We need like an ancestor of Brobling Nag to come back. Yeah, that'd yes. be cool. Uh, but you're right. I think I think if you take away that dramatic, you know, even if it's dramatic failure, you're yeah. taking away part of what makes the the magic of the storytelling, you know, feel different than just reading a book or something like that. And it's what makes any good um, fiction, right? It's all about stakes. If there's no stakes, like if you know uh, you can't die, well, then what What fun is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you take that away. So, I mean, but I've had that same experience you're describing where you roll a crit for a monster on one of your, your hapless uh, players. I'm like, oh, man, I feel bad. You just took 27 damage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. You know, like it doesn't feel good doing no. that to them. But I've had I've had like two of my five left alive and finally surviving, dragging the other three out and reviving them, and I'm like, oh, thank God! I mean, thank God for the 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 revival and the because I've the never had anybody, stuff. yeah, with the deaths, I've never had anybody go you lose enough hit points where they're automatically immediately dead. That would just that would suck. Yeah. It's gonna happen though, you know. If you start having higher stakes with higher level monsters, it might just occur. Well, yeah, you're right, and we're at a point now in in Dragon Heist where, yeah, it could be uh, a week from Thursday when when I get back together with my guys that there's this might be it. Yeah, it's there. It's there Uh-oh. in some pretty gnarly situations right now. Is it a weekly game? I wish it was weekly. It winds up because I'm on tour about half the time, and all of these guys have families and jobs and. Um, one of my one of my players is Owen King, who is a, a novelist, um, son of the great Stephen King, and he's a writer, exec producer on the new Stand, uh, the CBS remake of that. Uh, right. So Owen is flying back and forth to LA, and um, he's working his ass off a lot. So he he's hard to schedule around. One of our Alex, our our rules lawyer, he's he's got a job that takes him out of town. So we wind up being about once a month, oh, and that's it's so good. I wish it was more, but it's, it's nobody's, so far nobody's forgotten. And a lot of times I'll go back and I, oh, so Kelly, if you're going to do this, I, I would recommend I record just on my iPhone for my own benefit our sessions. So I can go back oh. and listen to like two hours and idea. I'll drive around in the car and I can, that lets me uh, listen to myself as a dungeon master. And, and it actually, I end up feeling better. Like, cause I'll, I'll think, oh, I must've been terrible. But then as I'm listening back, I'm like, that was actually pretty good. You know, I really only spent like maybe 90 seconds figuring out this tricky thing that I was stuck on. And for me, I felt like that must've been 10 minutes of just downtime yeah. when the players are sitting there mad at me. But so I'll listen back at those and, and I'll make notes and I'll write up an email and give them a recap before we get together for the next one so that everybody's fresh as to where we're walking right into the middle of the adventure. That's, That's cool. a really good idea. That would mean you'd have to listen to yourself talk, though. It's a good idea for other people. <laughs> not a good idea for me. Shelly's never actually listened to an episode of this podcast. I listen to episodes that I'm not co-hosting. Oh, that, that works. Oh, you're quite good. You're quite good. <laughs> I know, right? That's what I keep saying. I don't like the sound of my voice. That's, I, I've never heard of anyone doing that, though, who wasn't doing it for, uh, for a podcast or for uh, another presentations. But that's really interesting. A good, good tip. Thanks. Well, it's also useful for me, too, because like I said, I'm nervous about my Dungeon Master abilities, and I don't want to get back there and have them go, oh, remember, I, I healed him right before we broke and he's actually got 20 hit points now and, and i'm like i guess okay now <laughs> i, I can remember. go back and yeah i know you can double check lies catch like, them in their yeah. lies 
<laughs> right? Do they ever try to do that? Be like, by the way, I had all my spells memorized uh, differently. <laughs> like, no, I, let's go to the tape. Can we listen to the tape? <laughs> exactly. Instant replay. <laughs> We do need that sometimes. But yeah, that's cool. And now with, you know, the way, uh, I mean, we were talking before about technology sucks, but this is a way where technology is awesome and that you can just very quickly, you can archive those and have that as a folder on your hard drive and be like, hey, this, is, this was this campaign. I have it as a record, you know, not just in note form, but in actual audio. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, if they ever say anything untoward, I can use it against them. <laughs> Every single in-joke uh, and random comment. That Owen King makes, you can be like, all right, we got this now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what's, what's it like playing with, uh, with, with novelists like that? I mean, do they bring an extra special, uh, you know, uh, character work to the table, do you think? They do. Um, it's really great when they're, when they're making their characters, their, their backstories tend to be very well thought out. Um, Owen is... Uh, of all my guys, Owen is sort of the most committed to his character. He's got, um, uh, he's a male half orc barbarian named Ilk, and um, and his his he he gets he role plays on a level that I really appreciate. You know, it's it's always third person. It's like Ilk mad, you know, but <laughs> but he's he's playing like this kind of uneducated half work barbarian who's just standing there giant in a loincloth. But he's also got like this heart that for instance, my tiefling warlock does not have. So, so he'll, he'll role play like this really kind of intricate thing where he's dumb, but he's deep. And so, you know, I, I, I do. I do hand out inspiration points. Um, you know, I, I wind up. You know, he winds up. He winds up earning a lot of inspiration points. Really, they all do. My guys. Uh, I'm really lucky. You know, my uh, my half elf bard is um, is kind of annoying. But isn't a half elf bard gonna be kind of annoying if he plays bagpipes? Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's that's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> and it can Inspiration. be the, the um uh comic relief uh to a certain extent of, of the table. It totally is, yeah. How so, did oh, this group get together? You, did you tell us that already? Um it's just some local dads. I mean, New Paltz isn't that big of a community and and um you know, I I just wound up I guess uh Evan and I started talking about it years ago and then um, I just, I don't know, you know, how do you meet people? I've lived here 16 years now and oh, I wow. kind of realized, ah, oh, these are guys that I really think would be good D and D guys. <laughs> there was, there's one guy that I invited to be in the party. My friend, Paul, who's also really smart and really funny. He's sort of a, um, aspiring up comedian. And when I asked him if he would be a part of our D and D group, he goes, no, nah, that's good. I want to go on dates with girls. <gasps> I was like, all right, bro. Nope. I wrong see how it is. Wow. Un- uninvited. So. Uninvited. Get him out. Uh, he's yeah. probably not actually dating any girls right now. <laughs> <laughs> you should say that. I don't think he is. <laughs> Sick burn on that guy. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's so funny how it has changed, right? That I mean, you'll you'll meet people of uh, a, a generation who still have that kind of mindset about like that's what Dungeons. That's the, the easy go to joke uh, ab- yeah. about D and D players. But I mean, then there's people like yourself who is. You know, super successful, super creative, uh, and 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 you know has a family and is not you know that stereotype anymore. 
Well, yeah, and I, it shouldn't be. We live in a world where there's a lot of a lot of niches, niches. There's a a lot of Frederick little spaces. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I think it's okay. I think you know everybody. There's room for everybody, and and also um, you know you look at the what George R. R. Martin has done for sort of the world of fantasy. I think has been really great because it it brought it to a more grown up level, and it brought it to a more widespread acceptance. And the the idea of a dragon being in my uh, my downtime, uh, you know, entertainment is no longer you know anathema to. Cool people also watch things and talk about things with dragons in them. I think that's great. Yeah, it was very mainstream. I always think about my friend who loved Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. And, like, she would go to Harry Potter release parties and, like, make a cape and, like, a wizard's hat. And then she would be like, I don't like fantasy. Like, I, I don't like it. I'm like, but. No, I think you do. But I, Harry Potter's not real. You know, like, he's a wizard. Like, there is no such thing as Hogwarts. Wait, she, she, she didn't identify Harry no. Potter with fantasy? Or Game of Thrones. She'd be like, I mean, I like Game of Thrones, but, but no, I wouldn't play D&D because I don't like fantasy. Like, but it is exactly those two worlds combined. You just get to play it. Wow. You could actually be Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's silly. That's no. silly. And it is. It's so pervasive that, like, it, it's so, uh, yeah. It's interesting to me that they would think, like, oh, that's just mainstream. That's what just people are talking about and watching right now. But it's not yeah. what you guys are doing over here right. on the edges. It's I'm like, not well, different. no, it's the same. It isn't different. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe it's the idea that what we do when we play D&D is we're creating it. Mm. And yeah. otherwise, you're just sort of passively taking it in. Um, and but that's the thing that, that makes me love it so much is that, you know, it's, it's one thing to be, um, you know, um, just someone who sits on a couch and just watches like a zombie. It's another thing to be someone who's creating the content. I love. That's yeah. why I like music. I mean, I love listening to music, but I really love making music. So it's the same idea. Yeah, and it's something that I think you touched on with your interview with Jen uh, Workman. Uh, Jen Kirk- Kirkman. Kirkman, yes. Oh, so yeah. Sorry, I knew I was going to get that name wrong. Um, yeah. where, where she realized that she wasn't a audience member. Like, she was, she was able to perform, and she thinks she could do that better. And I think there is a little bit of that in each one of uh, Dungeon Masters, ex- ex- especially, of I think even D&D players, where they're like, all right, well, this is, this is Legolas, but this is Legolas Plus. Like, this is the way I think a you know, a, a trope or an archetype or a fantasy character should be. And, and you get to do that on a weekly basis, hopefully. Ah, oh, it's so great. And another thing that I really have found with, uh, since I've been dungeon mastering, is to watch the evolution of these characters. Because when they'll bring them to me, um, and we're, we're rolling them up in their first level, they're one thing. But then as you watch them sort of like... Um, sort of start to inhabit the character it's really cool thing and it is a lot like what i've experienced as a writer of fiction because as you go you sort of the the character reveals all these things to you so as these guys are playing their characters i'm watching these characters evolve and like um my my palette my paladin who's an asimar paladin mm-hmm. um he's just become this really like uptight problem like the party has a problem we've got this <laughs> this tiefling warlock who is basically evil and then we've got this asimar paladin who is like this glowing beam of light i am you know an embodiment of god's virtue and um that's gonna come to a head and like i didn't i mean i i probably should have foreseen that <laughs> 
I, I did warn them that there might be problems, but those pro- watching those problems become real is like, it's like reading a great novel, but it's so much deeper because you feel like you're in it. So it's super fun. Yeah. And there's something to the effect of, you know, you could, you could write a song or you can create a painting, you could write a story. Is it really a piece of art until someone sees it? Or, or is it really something that is, uh, 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 you know, real unless it, it has an audience or has like some someone who's bouncing off of it. And I feel like that's true for backstories of characters and things like that, that people write in D&D sessions. Like, yeah, your backstory is great, but it doesn't really become tangible unless it's at the table and part of the entire group. And then th- that group has input and changes on it. And so, you know, the Asimar sounded like a great idea, but then as soon as you have a tiefling warlock, that's going to be a very different character than if it was just a group of all Asimars being, uh, you know, holy and, and holier than thou the whole time. Yeah, and I, and I think that's important. I, and I've, I'm really glad my guys, and probably because they are writers, is that they um, they remember their backstory. I think so many times we'll make up a backstory and then we'll just go, oh, I'm a barbarian. And that's just sort of becomes who you are and you become maybe a stock. I know I've made that mistake before with my characters where I have let myself kind of become stock when I could be a lot deeper. And it's fun to watch my players take their characters deeper, even though sometimes it makes it harder. My job is harder. It'd be a lot easier if I just had a big dumb tank and a, and a big, <laughs> uh, a quiet healer standing over there waiting for somebody to get hurt. And then a spell guy who's keeping track of his slots, you know. But it's it's fun. I love it. I love. Good job, you guys. Again, you again, we'll I mean, take thank it. You. We will take it. <laughs> are are they using things like the personality flaws and the bonds and the backstories and all that when they create their characters? Because I think yeah, those are really. Good we don't time. end up talking about them as much. We we talk about them right in the beginning, but we've sort of the characters have just kind of become walking, talking, breathing characters now. But yeah, they, that's that's that was all there when when they started. I like that as a as a. Uh, growth from uh, previous editions and that like that type of idea is front and center. And I think that was the first time in my memory that like personality things were on the front of the character sheet and was, yeah. was really important for, for framing it. I it's, it. There were always players who use that stuff but didn't really think about it. And I think what fifth edition did is taught that that's really important. And I think it's also was, was really helpful for people who were new and didn't like a, the idea of creating a backstory was like way too much for them. But like this was like instant backstory. Yeah. There's like three things for you to cling to. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the rest of it. But it does help I, to inform your character. I even feel like 5th edition maybe is sort of evolving to um, and taking on some of the... Like there's other uh, game systems. There's one... I don't know if I'm even allowed to mention, but there's no, one fine. called Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and that emphasizes a lot of downtime and... Um, and and I feel like in Waterdeep, I, I, there's a lot of those mechanics are kind of coming into play, and um, and it's funny. I just that's what I've I've kind of wound up feeling like I don't need to go anywhere else. Like I feel like Fifth Edition is doing everything I want it to do, and so I thought Blades in the Dark sounded kind of fun, but then the things about it that sounded fun are kind of addressed by Fifth Edition. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think the designers here uh, do a really great job of uh, incorporating. A whole bunch of different ideas. I mean, that was part of the the tenets of fifth edition. Were like, let's take what was the best about previous D and D editions, and what's best about you know tabletop gaming in general, and and try to synthesize it into you know one system. And I think it's done uh, you know a really good job of of that. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you more specifically was about the downtime thing because I've tried to do that with my group that's playing through Dragon Heist, 
and it's it's a harder concept than I think. Like, as I want time to to move forward faster, so that we can do, you know, they can make money at their bar and do all these types of things. But they just get all bogged <laughs> down in the in the adventures of of well, what are we doing next? What are we doing? You know, what are we doing today? And I'm like, well, you guys can do a little macro level, you know. But I I, I don't want to be the dungeon master telling them that all the time without them wanting to pass time more. So, how do you how have you dealt with that in your group? God, a hundred percent. That's a weird issue, and and I was kind of glad that I had like read some of the the other systems where there is downtime because I at least I kind of had an idea of how it's dealt with in other places. But um, yeah, I am exactly the same. Like we had one session when they'd gotten the tavern, and then they were uh, going to buy furniture for the tavern. Like we had a half a session where they were buying furniture, decorating their tavern, and I had my. <laughs> My barbarian was just sitting there going, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Decorating a tavern. This is horrible. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm with you. The tavern is good. Let's move on. (laughs) So (laughs) that was when we had the the guild of tavern owners representative came by and there were some problems with some of the other local uh, merchants. And suddenly the downtime became kind of um, like mini adventures involving uh, NPCs from um, the, you know, the alley where the tavern is situated. And so there wound up being like little encounters that felt more like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons as I know it, and less of like just some giant sandbox open world thing where I have to go, I don't know what you guys want to do now. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the, the push and pull I'm dealing with too is, is exactly the same where I'm like, I want, time to pass like uh, 10 days you know uh, uh go on the next thing and then you know you can but it's hard to do that when the stakes are so low i guess in the early parts of the water deep dragon heist adventure it's yeah. like after they get the tavern it's like they it's a little bit on there on them to make their adventures happen and i think that's yeah. a that's a shift that that my players were not used to they were like oh i thought you were just going to tell us what we should be doing <laughs> yeah we kick down the door and you tell us how many orcs are in there come yeah. on yeah that's it right and i'm like well no you want to you know, build you a relationship decorate your tavern decorate your tavern no i know we did the exact same thing by the way <laughs> where they went to the uh, there's like the woodworkers shop nearby yeah, yeah. and they're like yeah. oh we're going to buy some tables and chairs and i'm like yeah so you buy some tables and chairs Good. <laughs> let's, let's 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 fast forward uh, a week. So wait, are you saying you didn't want them to have the downtime, or you did want them to? It was hard to, for me to go from the, you know, uh, what's happening on hour to hour that these characters are doing to, okay, a week passes. Oh. What happens in that week? Okay. You know, so you I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the person to blanks. say that. I wanted them to be like, hey, can we have some time pass? And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And they were like, they weren't, they didn't really know how to. But maybe they didn't know that was a thing that they were. I know, I kept like telling they, them. They must I'm have. Like, you guys, you can do this, you know, if you want to. You tell me. So, yeah. Because usually like, when I have, when I play, like, you go from, like, you finish an encounter. Okay, can we all rest? Oh, let's have a long rest. Oh, we wake up the next day, and then there's some other, like, mayor of a Boom. town telling us to do something. And then we're off again. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that's what they're used to. That's what they're used to. It's a little tricky, and, and I'm like you. I don't want to say you could do this because then it really just sounds like I'm pushing them. So I wind up saying, well, do you want to do this or do you want to do – like, you know, kind of give them some options and I don't know. What's it's, the yeah. purpose of doing it? Like is it so they can earn money, so they can meet some new 
uh, NPCs and get some more information? Like, is there a reason other than, like, what is the purpose? So you get, you know, they can look for magic. It's all the downtime rules okay. that are in the Xanathar's Guide to Everything uh, uh, expansion that um, uh, that Merle's put together. But, yeah, I know it's... Uh, there's a lot of stuff that they could do, and I was, t- and one of them did. Well, we did do one ten day where one person was like, "I'm gonna do." It was the cleric actually, who's like a a, a dwarf, a non-binary character, and he, and they were like, um, "I'm gonna do some pit fighting." I'm like, "Okay, you are a pit fighter for you know ten days," and I kind of rolled out what what happened and and what their matches were and how much money they got at the end. That's another awesome. one did an assassination. Another one was looking for magic items. So they did it once a- after I prompted them about three times. And uh, now I'm trying to be like, hey, you guys, you can do that again. You can, you know, we can make a little bit more time pass so that when, uh, you know, the big dramatic moment happens in, in chapter three, it, it feels like that's the, the change of the dynamic that, oh, okay. that happens. That's pretty cool. But you're right. It is, it is a weird thing. And, and for me, I found that my favorite is a bit like a strong balance. Like, okay, now I'm a little bit sick of this open-ended thing. Let's go kick in doors and kill people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I've been trying to... Or role, or role play with people. I've done a lot of that. They've done a lot of shopping, <laughs> for sure. <Yeah. laughs> so you, as Dungeon Masters, do you like the downtime? I do. You like it? I do. You like... Okay. Yeah. Do you like it, Rhett? Or do you want to just... Um, I, I, at, first, at first, it made me way too nervous. Like, I felt like, oh, great. It's all on me now. I mean, I, I you know, when I started, I felt like I can walk these guys through a map. You know, and that'll be easy. So this this was is kind of like no maps. Um, but once we got into it, I I really did like it. I liked interacting with. There's a pol- poltergeist. Like I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about. Oh yeah, the adventure. Yeah, they love they love the ghost. My my party does too. Yeah, yeah. And, and he wound up being super fun, and the sort of NPCs that they've t- hired to to work for them, like that stuff, has really wound up being fun. Oh my gosh, there um, the. Uh, What's the the wooden construct? The nimble right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. See again. I don't know how much. I don't want to. Spoil we haven't gotten that far. Uh, my, well, my party hasn't gotten that far. But I mean, this is a year old adventure. I think we're we're okay with uh, okay. at least some some but, basics. Uh, and some people may never encounter this, but there was a nimble right. I did not expect this to be. It was a real like aha moment for me as a dungeon master when suddenly I was. Um, I was role playing an NPC who was uh, a magically a magic, uh, basically balsa wood constructed uh, character. But he, oh my god, it was so much fun! Like for me to do it as an as a as a as a dungeon master and as a role player, and then the the way he interacted with the group and what came out of it was I was completely surprised because when I saw it on the page, I just thought, Oh, this will be five minutes. And it wound up being this really deep, like ongoing interaction between the group and this character. And, and, um, and what kind of got me about it was that it ended up having, and I think this is when the things about dragon heist, having a lot of space and leaving a lot to the DM, that initially bothered me. The strength of that is that when you do kind of go down a road you didn't expect and you wind up giving a character a lot more importance in the story than he would have if you were just kicking down doors in a dungeon, is that suddenly that 
you really care about it. And so this nimble, right, who is not even human, winds up having this really kind of deep, sad backstory and interacting with my group in this way that I was actually getting choked up as I experienced this moment because he cared so much about this other nimble, right, that he had created and he was begging them for something. and, And it just wound up being this really sweet thing that I don't think would have happened if we were going, you know, from room 13 to room 14 and kicking down doors and killing orcs. For sure, right? And I love that you had the space to be able to have that moment and explore it and surprise yourself. You yeah. Know? And like, I, I know that when I go and I listen to Chris Perkins' Dungeon Master, I'm not ever going to be him. You know, nobody is. But I did feel like all of a sudden I felt like I was capable. And Kelly, I think if you wind up doing this, this is something that you'll find. You will surprise yourself because, I don't know, it's not... It's not rocket science. And if you care about what you're doing, you're going to really find these moments where you're like, oh, my God, I actually think I did that pretty well. It was in me all along. <laughs> you had it in you, Shelley. You had it. I don't know. All right. Every time I, I talk, we talk to somebody who's an inspired dungeon master, it does make me feel a little like, I could do this. Just got to take sounds, that leap. You make it sound fun. <laughs> You're selling it pretty good. I know. And now I feel like I want to uh, uh, you know, continue to talk to you about your Dragonized campaign I for know. Like hours and hours. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you are an amazingly creative person, and I love that you are jumping into Dungeon Mastering, and hopefully uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus is something that you can uh, hopefully start a new campaign or you know, the, once, once Dragon Heist is over and we can oh, hear all about that. Because yeah. I want to hear what these, the Asimar and, and Tiefling get up to uh, going to the Nine Hells. Well, uh, I know, but uh, I've got Mad Mage sitting here calling out to me <laughs> as the, the obvious follow-up. You're going to have to take a really long That's tour. That's it, you need a new group. New tour. There you go. Listen, I'll tell you guys, if if I can dungeon master, anybody can, because I'm not I'm not a rules guy, I'm not a book guy, I'm not a numbers guy. I just you just gotta be willing to do it and be willing to just kind of keep up keep track of, you know, what's happening and um and just care about what you're doing. And and once you do that, I I think your your friends will be really grateful because having a DM that cares about it, about making a fun experience, boy, it's I'm now I'm actually looking forward to finding somebody else who will dungeon master for me. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yes. All right. Shout out Train to anybody in New Paltz. Uh, get Seems to, like a very creative community. So yeah. I'm sure there's dungeon masters out there. There's got to be. Maybe Owen will, will jump in and do it. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I, I really loved it. And I can't wait to uh, hopefully see you when you get up here in, in January. Guest list for all of the Wizards of the Coast. Oh. Uh, that'd be awesome. Sweet. All 600 of us. <laughs> we're going. Maybe, maybe we can have you come do a little acoustic thing in front of Mitzi oh, yeah. the Dragon. Uh, me and John Darniel. Yeah, yes. exactly. That'd he be started great. a trend. <laughs> cool. Well, if people want to uh, you know, check out more of your music or... or oh, your, uh, your holiday album. We didn't even talk about the <gasps> holiday album. Yeah. Already listening to it. I'm already listening. Uh, we did the West Coast last year, so this year our holiday tour is only going up the center of the country. Okay. But the holiday album is out there, and as as is everything, it's available on Spotify and all those places. But if you want to order it on vinyl, the vinyl is uh, is like candy cane, red and white, Ooh. and it's super beautiful. That's so go amazing. to a- ATO Records, and they'll do whatever they do. Sweet. Awesome. And then, of course, Wheels Off is an awesome podcast. Yes. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to it. Thanks. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. But yeah, tell Chris I'm I'm gonna come track him down. Oh, we'll do. We will we'll love do. that. Send send us a note. We'll I'll, I'll put you in touch with him for sure. Awesome. Uh, he's about guys. to come in and do some lore right now. <laughs> he's yeah. outside that door right now. You can tell him yourself. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Thanks, Rhett. <laughs> See Thank you later. You. Tell Quinn Thank I said you. hi. Oh, I will. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. That was such a good interview. Love it. I love the creativity that just pours out of Mr. Rhett Miller. Me too. Yeah. More books, please. More books. We need more. More songs. More. More podcasts. More podcasts. More D&D. Right? On the road. I know. I love. Spreading the word. That uh, the, the, the podcast uh, wheels off is just all about investigating uh, other people who create stuff. I love and that. Wow, what, they, what they do about it, right? Yeah. And it's. it's the process not exactly, is different. It's not exactly what we do uh, here on the Dragon Talks, but it feels in the same vein of like, yeah. oh, here's a creative person who's doing something awesome. Right. Let's uh, talk to what uh, Dungeons and Dragons meant to them and how they are bringing it to their creativity. Right. Right. Maybe we can talk to Dungeon Masters about their creative process. So maybe we should just combine forces and have it be Dragon Wheels Off Talk. Yes. <laughs> Dragon Wheels Off Talk. Wheels Off Talk. I like it. Well, maybe he'll take us on the road with him. <gasps> <laughs> for Dragon Talk Live. For Dragon Talk Live. We can open for uh, for all of uh, their performances going forward. Yeah. All right. You want to? It was your dream to uh, jump into the music biz. To go on tour. I wanted to be a tour manager. So let's do it. You can manage our own tour. <gasps> can you do that? <gasps> yeah. All right. Sweet. Oh my God. We're gonna have the best accommodations. Dragon Talk <laughs> worldwide. We're only going to warm places. Can we be on boats? Sure. I just want to be on a boat. Well, you love boats. Do I? Do you? If I take With drowning. the norovirus and... Oh, I'm not going on a cruise. What's the difference between a boat and a cruise? No, a cruise is... I mean, if it's just like a really cool like catamaran booze cruise... That's probably more dangerous air, than a cruise ship is. Different. You're only on it for like two hours. <laughs> All the alcohol you consume kills the germs. Oh, well, that can also happen on a cruise ship. That's what I believe. <laughs> it's, yeah, because no one was drinking on any of those uh, uh, cruise ships that had those viruses. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm never going. <laughs> never. All right, fine. Well, our tour is going to be all in airplanes uh, or buses. Do you want to do a bus? I'll do. I would. I think a tour bus would be fun I think for so. like three hours. Yeah, and then we'll get like, like a Volkswagen Bug and uh, or uh, the you know the camper the Volkswagen oh my God. campers with the pop top. Do you think our families will miss us? No, I do not think so. <laughs> they do not like us one bit. <laughs> They're going to be like, get out of here. <laughs> Bye. Go on, you Five tell days off. into our tour, Quinn will be like, that lady that used to be here. <laughs> she looks she like was, Momo. She, that Momo <laughs> lady who was always telling us what to do. <laughs> always spraying down the countertop. I'm so glad she's gone. Where is she? <laughs> that's, that's fun. <laughs> she went on tour. She's on the road. <laughs> she's <laughs> Momo's she's making the money. Uh, Momo's on tour. <laughs> Shelly Momo. Oh, I should change my... That's not, a really for 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 Halloween. Halloween. That's perfect. Shelly Momo. I like that. That's a, that's a Photoshop that Nathan should do. Don't, you don't need to Photoshop. <laughs> I will so. wake up in the morning and I will take a selfie, <laughs> and you will go, "Holy <gasps> shit!" Like what just happened? You seriously need to sue the people who started Momo. <laughs> the, the artist who made that sculpture. <laughs> that is not okay. Not okay. How dare they took your IP? My bowl haircut. (laughs) Your bowl haircut. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to Momo? She got it from watching the Muppets uh, at Saturday nights. Yeah. Yeah. Too engrossed to tell her mom. No, no, no. No, 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 Mo, Mo, Mo. (laughs) (laughs) Mo, (laughs) Mo. 
<laughs> we are now in the video portion of this labeled <laughs> Shelly as Momo. And Thank I like you, Pelham. Thanks for all of it. Uh, Shelly, we went through all of the fun stuff that we can play for Dungeons & Dragons, but was there anything that we were missing, perhaps having to do with a card game? How about a Dungeon Mayhem expansion? Called Battle for Baldur's Gate. Yes. And? Play it it now. As Minsk and Boo. Jahira. Jahira. Shapeshifter. I like it. It's very good. People are digging it. I know. I, I appreciate people taking the time on Twitter to tell me that they are enjoying it. They do. They do Thank really you. want to enjoy it. Thank you. They're making some, some cool boxes. <laughs> why does that make you mad? You know why. I like to, I'm not mad. I, I, like, I admire the creativity. I do too. I just think that you need to stop baiting me. <laughs> it's so much fun. You usually try to do that to hey, me, so it's I? nice to do it the other way. This person's playing with five people. What do you think of that? I know. What do you think of that? I'm not going to come to your house and tell you not to. <laughs> not as, Momo's not going to show up at your house? Momo like, might. <laughs> Momo does not appreciate. No! Momo likes rules. Momo must follow rules. Is that what Momo sounds like? I don't know if we ever heard her. All right. Did we? we no, we did, because wasn't she saying terrible things to people? To kids? Uh, Allegedly. Yeah. I guess that's right. There was like a voice that was associated with it. I never actually saw any of those alleged videos. Time to revisit for Halloween. Uh, are you gonna be what playing? What a great costume! Are you gonna be playing in any? Yeah, it is a great costume for you. For um, me? Are you gonna be doing for you? I'm in it. Not for anyone else. Right now. <laughs> That's a really good costume that you made, Shelly. Momo. I'm Momo. That sounds a lot like Elmo. And my cat. And your cat. Are you playing in any? Like Curse of Strahd themed games around uh, this holiday. Nobody will play D&D with me. Well, then I'm going to have to invite you to a game. I want to. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. In my new house, when it gets done. Yes. Yes. Okay. Happy Halloween. Do you need light fixtures? I have some light fixtures. Many. I need many light fixtures. Do you? Yeah. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And we'll talk. All right, cool. Okay. All right. Got some. Perfect. I'm going to steal them all. Also, window dressings, apparently. That's a thing that we we need to have. You don't have curtains or or like blinds or anything? No. The The people who live there just... Had the windows they open? They ripped them all down and threw them into a pile and burned them with gasoline. And they said, this is for you. No, they don't, I don't. I think they just redid the windows and then didn't put them up. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, don't, I like the first part of that story, though, too. That's I like that, creepy. too. Yeah. Put some sheets up. Yeah, Super classy. It'll be, but some, I got some cardboard that we're going to use when we move, so we'll just put that up in the windows. Oh, be perfect. Easy. Yeah. yeah. Easy peasy. Nice. Shelly, we're going off the rails. How can people... Message us on Twitter and let us know how to get back on those rails. Well, I would like to find out how to do that. At Shelly Moo on Twitter. And you're at Greg Tito. That's right. And Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. That's right. Yeah. And you're on Facebook, uh, Shelly Writes. Shelly Mazenoble Writer. Shelly Mazenoble Writer. I believe that on Facebook, I find some of the best news out there and I share it with people. Mm. Only on that page, though. You should... All go like that page. You should, because if you want some good news. I know, wh- have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? Of <laughs> Momo? <laughs> also, there's, um, never mind. 
Dungeons and Dragons is a game that you should look up on uh, DungeonsandDragons.com. Yeah. Find out all the information about that. Follow uh, the official accounts on Twitter, Wizards underscore DND. I believe that's also Wizards DND for Instagram. A lot of po- pictures going up there about all of the things. And then, of course, if you want like the like the real hard hitting news yeah. about Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. you should go to Dragon Plus. Yes, it is uh, an app that you can get for all of your phones out there, and it is updated bi monthly with great stuff and updated. Daily, doesn't it like aggregate? Yes, stuff. Part of the features it does so, have uh, all of the posts never, from Facebook, tw- Instagram, and Twitter all going always on there. in the so know. Announcements galore happening there, yes. as well as uh, uh, tons of in-depth features and free game material like maps and things like that are on there as well. So if you haven't downloaded what? it, why haven't you downloaded it? Get it. There's also tons of uh, it, it back issues uh, that are being rebuilt. Uh, the app kind of had a uh, database refresh, so a lot of the older content is now being refreshed and added to there as well. Oh, cool. So, good stuff. Yeah. Um, Dragon Talk is a production. Shelly and I are the co-hosts, obviously. It's a production. It's a production. Right. Um, it is produced audibly by Ryan Marth from Siren Sound. Yay, yeah. Ryan! Uh, Lisa Carr does a ton of producing work as well. Go for Lisa. Yay, Lisa. Pelham Green is on the mix board uh, making things happen video-wise while we live stream these. So yay, Pelham. Yay, Pelham. And I want to give a final shout-out to Shelly for lifting me up all of these years on the Dragon Talks. And I will give you a final shout-out. Because you're so light and easy to lift up. Because you're great, Greg Tito. You are great, Shelly. We're going to hit the top of this cave we're lifting up so much. Oh, my God. I hope nothing falls on us. Oh, my God. I'm falling. Ah, Ah, I'm falling.